love it when we had time change like it occurs. I get to sleep longer. Everybody's on time. I love it. You know, we'll just leave it at that. Good to see everyone today, and uh, we're going to get started here uh, today with our Bible study. We're going to take our Bibles, and we're going to go to the book of Revelation, chapter 12. Revelation, chapter 12. We're going to look at the first part of our study, and uh, I kind of got tickled at whether uh, Randy, he made a statement, Randy Coffey, or he made a statement, he goes, well, uh, let me see your notes. I want to know how many uh, mints I need to get. And, uh, oh well, I know it's the uh, first day of the week. How's that? Let's take our Bibles this again, go to chapter 12. Let's read the first 10 verses together, shall we? And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she being with child cried, travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. And his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven, and it cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child, and was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she hath a place prepared of God, and they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent which is called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come the salvation and strength and kingdom of our God, and the power of Christ, of his Christ, for the accuser of the brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Again, Father, we want to thank you for the things that are written in the scripture. And again, Lord, we struggle at times to understand the full aspect of the things that are given, but you give us these things for our learning, for our understanding, and Lord, while we believe this is prophetic in nature, you do give us an understanding. And I pray, Father, that we might take the full counsel of thy word and help us, dear Father, to understand the things that are given. May we follow you, may we serve you, may we do all things according to thy gracious word, for it's in Christ we pray. Amen. As we begin, I'd like for us to turn quickly back to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 13. I think that's where I want to go. And I want us to see a particular verse that I think is so uh, important for us to have as we get started today. Now, understand this is that the one thing we need to realize is the importance of God's Word and how that it is complete in its understanding. So let's go to um, verse 11 of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, well, as a matter of fact, let's go to verse 8. I said 11. It says, Charity faileth not, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fall or fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Now, what are the conditions that we shall see these particular things? Now understand this, 
we see everything that is written in the scripture for a reason, and we need to apply those reasons as God sees fit for us to understand it. So charity doesn't go away. Love never goes away. However, whether there's prophecies, they shall fail. Uh, whether there be, or whether there be uh, tongues, they shall cease. And whether there be knowledge, they shall vanish away. What is the condition in verse 9? For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But that which is perfect is come. So what is the perfect that we are mentioning here? I don't know how many of you all have ever thought about that, but the perfection is not wisdom, but God's word. So when you think about this, we have the word of God in our hands, and we've had it in our hands for the longest of time. Now, there's a great history that's behind uh, the Bible in itself, how that it was uh, attacked and under attack and continually under, con uh, under attack. How that with the Gutenberg uh, printing press, we began to find that the Bible was now able to be printed free or more, more inexpensively uh, for all people to read. And so when we take a look at these things, we now see this as being true. But again, look at verse 10. But when that which is perfect is come, which we believe is the Bible, then that which in part shall be done away with. So the reality is, is that I am not giving you anything brand new. I am only expounding on the things that are given. Now, if you will, let's go to the next slide, Brother Joe, and I'm going to show this to you. So the very next slide, there's two books, and I actually have both of these books. One is called The Two Babylons by Hislop. And the other one is, if you will, uh, we also see the Babylon Mystery Religion by Woodrow. I have the second book as well. I can't find it. It's in my library. It may still be packed away. But uh, one of the things, I would recommend both of these books. This book was written in 1916. So it's not a new book. It was actually... Um, it was actually copyrighted twice. The last one was in 1959 of this particular book. Uh, you can find it if you want to go in and uh, spend the money. You can find it. The same thing with the uh, the two. Uh, the other one that is called Babylon Mystery Religion by Woodrow. It is also available. It is more of a easier read compared to this book. This one, like I tell people, is not bathroom material. You don't want to have this in your bathroom and try to make sense of it because it will pain you. I, that's all there is to it. It takes dedicated study to understand everything that Alexander Hislop put in. On the other hand, there is a little bit more, and, and I love pictures, but there's a little bit more imagery that we can pay attention to with the second book. Now, understand this. It again is not infallible writings. That's what I try to make sure that everybody understands. I do refer from time to time to other people's materials because the fact is is that uh, they help me to understand the things of God a little bit better. And my responsibility as a pastor and teacher, and I think that's where I fall into both arenas, is to teach in such a way that there is a clarity of understanding with everyone that is here today. Now, we are going to be looking primarily at the first five verses today, and I want us to get this image that is there. So as we open up the book of Revelation, we're going to do everything we can to stay within the, the context of these notes. So look what I wrote in the beginning. As the book of Revelation, I find it an easy book to read, though much of it is hard to fully comprehend. Now that's true. I mean, because the fact is we're still dealing with prophecy. 
And so when we think about the prophecy, there's a lot of things that we have to look at. The imagery that John would see and how that he would write these things over for us to grasp and you know, for him to make sense of it. One of the things that I used uh, not too long ago was the image of the tank as it rolled in and how that it was belching out flames of fire. Well, that makes me see those particular areas in the book of Revelation. But at the same time, there is a lot of imagery. Now, there's a lot of people that they'll say, well, you know, the entire book of Revelation is allegorical. I don't believe that. Now, I will say that we can see a little bit more allegory in the, the first five verses of this particular passage. And so I want us to make sure we have a good comprehension of that. We must admit that there is a bit of prejudice in the study of the book when it comes to eschatology. What I mean by that is, you know, not prejudice against people, but I do find that I have a hard time seeing what other people have to write. That's prejudice. Prejudice in itself is not a bad word. I have to understand that I have a right to believe as I believe based upon the truth of God's word. Now, if someone wants to take an all-millennial position, they have every right to do it. But I don't have the right to impose my beliefs on somebody else. In other words, to try to strip away the church members that are within a church. On the other hand, I have a responsibility to teach you as much as I know from the things I see from the Word of God. And so with that in mind, I want to make sure that we have a clear understanding. So all preachers have to apply their own thinking to the things that are written. Critics will often say of those that believe like me, I'm not giving enough allegory to the writings, or most will say, I misallocate, or I'm missing, I'm missing in the allocation of allegory. So I want you to look at this. This is not something that I have confounded or, or confounded or, or believe on my own. Look what it says in verse 1. And there appear a great wonder in heaven. Now this is beginning with John once again as he's looking into the heavenly places. Remember this is that he was allowed to see into heaven. Now whether he was taken off the Isle of Patmos or if he was allowed to see heavenly things, we don't know. Let's put it this way. You know, I have a lot of people that they want to argue with me about the argument of uh, Abraham when God said, look at the stars in the heaven and see if you can count them. Well, a lot of people say, well, there's only about 2,500 stars that are visible to us in the heavens. But if God opens up the, the heavens and allows Abraham to see beyond the confines of our own atmosphere, if you will, or our own universe, the vastness of stars that are really It doesn't mean that it means anything other than it's in a record to where that you have a star that is named after you. But there is enough stars in heaven that we can name every star after every person in the world born today and still have billions to go. Now think about that for a moment. And it also says that there are, you know, count the number of sands on the seashore. How many of us can take a grain of sand and start counting those grains of sand without messing up? There's billions upon billions upon billions of grains of sand. 
I believe that those are two different things that we see. Number one, we have the Israelites, which we have no clue how many Israelites have been since the time of Abraham. And if you think about the thousands of years that have applied to that, and the, and the billions that have probably been born under Abraham's line, and the existence of, of the Jews that are today. Now, there's a lot of people that they want to argue that the, the, the Jews that are in uh, Palestine today are not really Jewish people. Well, bring it up to God. Don't bring it up to me. Bring it up to God. You know, let's put it this way. The true today. Sister Carla and I were talking about uh, Bernie Sanders yesterday, how that he was on the side of the Palestinians. Well, go ahead and just scream out all you want that you're on the side of the Palestinians. And when God finally shows up on this earth, he will say, okay, Bernie, come here and admit to yourself what, uh, you, you, you're, why you're so hateful of me. And the reality is that Palestinians are looking for every reason why they need to say, we have a right to be here, they don't have a right. And yet that the rights of the Jews is a biblical right. Let's see if that's not true. In verse 1, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed and under twelve stars. Now, who is this woman? I believe in all that this woman is actually what we would now know as the Virgin Mary. And you say, well, how do you believe that? Because she is the only one that was found worthy to bear Jesus Christ. However, the indication that we see here, where we have the sun, the moon, and the twelve stars, are found with us in the book of the Old Testament. Let's go back to the book of Genesis, and let's go for a moment back to chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. Anything that I say from this pulpit, I better be able to back it up from what we see in the scripture. All right, in Genesis chapter 37, let's go down to verse 8. Now, once again, this is Joseph in the dream as he is now realizing that God has called him to be, if you will, the savior of the the. the uh, the lineage of Jacob. Look what it says. And his brethren said to him, this is Genesis chapter 37, verse 8, Shall thou be reign over And he dreamed yet another Because he's the star himself. So he's saying that the sun and the moon and his brethren made obeisance to me. In other words, they're going to bow to me. And it was told to his father and, uh, and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him. Now Jacob did not have the insight that was given to Joseph. And said unto him, What? written down in your Bible, that ought to be written down right there for you to be able to quickly refer back to where it comes from. So here we have in heaven, now a lot of people might say, you know, why do you believe it's Mary? Well, let's go to the book of Luke chapter 1, and in Luke chapter 1 we find how that the angel 
has appeared unto Mary. There is nothing special about this woman except for the fact that she is really excited to be in the things of God and that she has dedicated herself to God. Let's go down to verse 26 of Luke chapter 20, or of Luke 1, verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Nazareth named Nazareth. Now, who is this angel, Gabriel? Gabriel is known as the messenger angel. We see him first in the book of Daniel. But notice again that he is sent specifically not to Jerusalem, not to Bethlehem, but to Nazareth. Do you realize at the time Nazareth was reported, it's a new city that is in the extreme north of what we now call Galilee. Beforehand, it was never there except for the fact that Joseph, being of the lineage of David, and Mary, also being of the lineage of David, they met the qualifications that God was going to look for. Look at verse 27. To a virgin. Now, is that not a fulfillment of Scripture? What does it say in the book of Isaiah? That a virgin shall conceive. That's, one thing, again, the thing that we need to understand. And once again, this was written, Isaiah wrote his material 700 years before the Lord was ever born. Look what else it says. To a virgin espoused, to a man whose name was Joseph, to the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. By the way, the name Mary means bitter. It means bitter. How do I are you going to finally send the Redeemer to us? Look at verse 28. And the angel came into her and said, Hail amongst women. You know what I love about this? Mary was just a woman. And I think that particular word amongst shows us that she was just a woman. If there's anything that we can say of Mary, she had the right heart and the right desire to be used of God in the right way and not to be honored. Now, what's interesting is we are going to be looking at the contrast between Mary and a woman named Semiramis. And Semiramis was lifted up in pride. We're going to look at that in just a moment. But Mary was a very humble child, a very low most likely around 17 years of age. We don't even know her real age. But notice what it says, that she was willing to be used to God. Verse 29, And when she saw him, she was troubled at this saying, and cast into mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not. Why did he say fear not? Because again, he wants to make sure that there is no fear coming to this woman. I have not come to destroy you, but God has chosen you. Let me stop here for a moment. What is it that God has chosen us for? You know, most of us have heard of the, the heartache with, about Pete Horn, our dear brother who's over at Johnstown Baptist Church. And your know, brother Pete has been a faithful servant. I, I mean, I've been with brother Pete when uh, he lost his, his first child, his oldest child. Matter of fact, his oldest child was a close friend of my oldest son as well and a terrible accident. And Pete endured. Pete 
was a man of God that continued to endure. And he preached the word of God. And, and you know, uh, a lot of people might look and they may want to criticize him. But the reality is, look at wh what this man has done. And this was the object of my prayer. Lord, if you're not done with Brother Pete, would you allow him to stay with us a while? Now, that should be the object of our prayer. He's been very humble. But, you know, if it's time for his graduation, as my graduation is going to occur as well, if it's time for the graduation, then, Lord, let us rejoice for a short period of time. Isn't that wonderful? He is a man that has been used amongst men to preach the gospel, and there's no really more humble individual than Brother Pete. And, you know, the news is not good. The news could be that he has stomach cancer and has liver cancer, and if that's the case, he doesn't have long to live. But the reality is, we have prayed and we have seen the power of God in many ways that goes beyond human understanding. And if God's not done with Brother Pete, I guarantee you he'll stay around with us for a while. But notice again, he tells Mary, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Do you realize that we have favor that has been stowed? Another word for that is grace. Unmerited favor, which is the mercy of God that has been bestowed upon us. We have found grace in the eyes of the Lord. How many of us can actually say, I deserve You don't deserve any more than Jehovah saves. So the reality is going to be born. Our Savior, our Jesus Christ. We can't stop there because verse 32 says, He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord people realize that Jesus is going to be the eternal ruler over the house of Jacob. Now, is that not true? Let's see if that's not true. Hold your place here. I'm, I'm giving you a good Bible study, I know. Let's go to Genesis chapter 49 and look at the, the deathbed uh, blessings that were given by Jacob to his family. Alright, and I want us to go down to verse 8 of chapter 49. And I'm going to show you something that I think will really amaze you as well. In verse 8, Judah, thou shalt praise. Wow, that's that's pretty that's pretty high honor. Thy hand shall be with, uh, be in the neck of thine enemies, thy father's children shall bow down before them, before thee. Jacob is a lion's whelp. Now, let me stop there for a moment. I have this beautiful painting, and it's, and, you know, again, it's just been caption after caption of this great lion with the crown of thorns upon his, upon his brow. And his paws are coming through, and there's the nail prints of the paws. And every time I see that, I'm thinking, this is the lion of Judah. 
And Jesus is that line of Judah. But notice what else it says, you know, as we read along together. It says in verse 9 again, Judah is a lion's whelp from the, the prey. My son, thou art gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion. And as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? The scepter. This is important for every one of us to look at. The scepter, the rule, the continuation is an open continuation. This is a Jesus Christ. Shiloh literally means Prince of Peace. It is a place of peace. And then the hymn shall be the gathering of the people be. Binding the folk unto the choice vine. Let me just tell you something. I, I, I didn't know this until more recently, but there was a reason why Jesus had to ride on the back of the ass of a colt. Do you realize that that was only an honor that was permitted to a king? And Jesus rode on the back of a colt. And no other person would ever be able to ride on the back of that colt because it belonged to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That lonely colt was a significant indication that this is the true King of Israel. How many of you knew that? Isn't that amazing? Look at this. He washed the garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes shall be milk. In other words, he is pure, he is holy. But what about Jacob? You know, we also take a look at Joseph. We can't go any further without acknowledging Joseph. Let's go down to verse 22. Joseph is a fruitful bow. In other words, the bow is always a reflection of a protector. Do you realize that Joseph was the one that was permitted to protect? And in fact, he was the only one that is allowed to have two tribes. Originally, it was Ephraim and Manasseh. We read over in the book of Revelation that Ephraim has gone away, and in his place is the name of Joseph. Joseph and Ephraim are allowed to be presented here. Look what else it says. Even a fruitful bow. shepherd and the stone of Israel. In other words, Joseph, you have a special role. Even by the God
his brethren. But now I'm going to show you something that's really amazing. How far is God willing for us to see this? Take your place. And again, I know we're, we're, I'm asking you all to keep a lot of places. Let's go to the book of Matthew, chapter 1. I love this. I didn't see this until about five years ago. And I want us to go down, if you will, to verse 16. Look what it says. Everybody with me? You, you can read it for yourself. Matthew 1, 16. And Jacob begat Joseph. Let's stop there for a moment. Many, many years ago, Jacob begat Joseph. Do you realize how good our God is to give that same protector's name as Joseph? Joseph was not the father of Jesus, but he was the protector of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? And who was his dad's name? Jacob. Now if that doesn't send some chills up your back, nothing will. But notice again what we find here in this. And Jacob began Joseph, the husband of Mary, the protector, the woman, that we just read of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. Now let's go back over to Luke chapter 1, and we'll finish up there. And Mary said unto the, the angel, verse 34, Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? In other words, I've never lain with the man, I've remained pure. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, the holy thing which thou shalt be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she also hath conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for with God nothing shall be impossible. Doesn't that describe everything about who we are? We are in existence because nothing is impossible with God. sink in. And verse 38, And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Do you realize, one verse comes to mind, God shall make us willing in the day of his appearance. Can you imagine Mary questioning all these things to an angel? And you Or questions. And yet, the whole thing. I believe that there was an analytical part of Mary at this moment that said, I want to know everything about it. How shall these things be? If I'm not going to lay with a man, how is this going to happen? The Holy Spirit of God shall enter into you 
and impregnate you with the Son of God. That's impossible. Except the impossible is possible with God. Isn't that amazing? Let's go back over to the book of Revelation. Let's see. So you see why I hold to that very clue that this woman was in travail. This woman was going to bear the child. In verse 2 it said, And she shall bring, and she being with child, let me tell you something. I have an interesting comic strip upstairs to where Satan is whispering into the ear of Caesar. We're going to make this a little bit more of a challenge. Why wasn't Jesus born in Nazareth? Number one, because it was prophesied in Micah that he would be born in Bethlehem of Ephratah. In other words, Bethlehem of Judea. And the reality is, is that for that to really be taken place, Joseph had to take Mary and bring her down into Bethlehem. How many of us would have understood that except for the fact is that when you go in and look at the map, and I remember this many years ago, Brother Tom Heisel was our, our Sunday school teacher. And he had taken a plaster cast of, of the mountainous regions and just to show us exactly what the regions around that area was like. First of all, you had the river Jordan that came down and it fell into the Dead Sea. But along that no good Israelite would ever approach into the land of Israel, no matter what. So Mary coming down that, that trail, which would have been very simply the, the River Jordan Trail, she didn't ride by boat. She most likely either walked or was on a burrow. We don't know. We don't know if she ever, which way she came, but we know that it was a hard journey. It was 96 miles. How many of you women, when you remember your pregnancies, how many of you women who ever had a child, how many of you all would love to uh, walk It's not going to happen, is it? And yet to fulfill all Scripture, and again in verse 2, Look what it says again. And she being a child cried. Why would she cry? Travailing. That word travailing means trying. Because it is painful birth. They say that a woman is the nearest to death while she gives birth to a child. Many women have died giving birth to a baby. And yet, here is this challenge. Satan whispers into Caesar's ear, why don't you just have them all go back to their home area? And as she comes down to that treacherous shoreline, most unlikely on the eastern side of the water, there was not even a deep enough waterway for them to come by boat because it is too shallow. And yet as they came down this way, she found this place to where she was going to be literally allowed to hear and to deliver the Savior that is going to be born.
And Satan is laughing in derision. That's why it says that he wanted to destroy the child as soon as it was born. Look at verse 3. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon. Now, once again, we have to understand this dragon that is in heaven. So if you will, Brother Joe, let's go to the next picture. And I want you to see this. So the very next picture that we see is this seven-headed dragon. Now, there are so many images. One of them that I saw was a woman in heaven, and she looked so much like Mary with child, I said, I don't even want that one there. The reality is, is that that seven-headed dragon, we're going to get into a little bit more detail about what is going to happen with this dragon. We know that this dragon is ready to, de to destroy Christ at the very beginning. Now, there are several things that I want us to understand about this, this dragon. Number one, the, the battle in that we see in this is going to be ever so devastating. And there appeared in verse 3, and it said, And there appeared unto uh, another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. This is in direct, direct definition of what we see in the book of Daniel, chapter 7. Once again, let's hold our place here. Let's go to the book of Daniel. And let's go to chapter 7. Daniel, chapter 7. I told you we are going to get into a love study, didn't I? And in Daniel, chapter 7, let's go down to verse 20. Notice once again what it says. And of the ten horns that were in his head, and the other which came up before whom uh, three fell, even of that horn hath the, hath hit that, had, that had eyes, and about this spake very great things, whose look was named uh, Stout with his fellows, I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints, and prevailed against them, until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. Now, this is the thing I want us to get into, and we're going to spend some time right here. Now, again, I, I have about five minutes left, but we're going to take a look at this just for a moment. A lot of this is going to be brought into speculation, but I'd like first now, again, to turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 1, and we're going to go down to verse 1 and 2. And we're going to stop here just for wherever we're at today, and I want us to get what we're seeing here. In the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Now, there is a reason why the word heaven is mentioned before the earth. I truly believe that God created heaven before he ever turned his attention unto earth. Now, in creating heaven, he would have created all now, mind you, there was heaven, there was earth. But notice the condition of earth as we begin to see it in verse 2. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. I personally believe that the casting out of Satan from heaven occurred between verses 1 and 2. Now, there's a lot of other speculations that are there. Mainly because of Genesis chapter 1 verse 31 where it says, and, and God saw that everything was very good. Well, my thought is, why didn't God say it was perfect? Because there still abode sin. But now I want you to get this. 
I even want you to imagine with me just a little bit more about Lucifer. In Ezekiel chapter 28, and again, I, like I said, we're going all over the place. In the book of Ezekiel chapter 28, and let's go, if you will, into understanding a little bit more about Lucifer, shall we? And in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 13 says this, Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Who was in Eden in the garden of God? We know that God was. That's not speaking of him. We know Adam and Eve were. That's not speaking of them. So there only leaves one other culprit that we need to look at, and that would be the serpent. Notice what else it says. Every precious stone was thy covering the sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and the gold. The workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. That's beautiful, isn't it? How many of you have ever seen a serpent, and I'm speaking of snakes, and looked how beautiful they really are? Now, understand, if you have a fear of, of reptiles as I do, there's nothing beautiful about them. There's nothing. Uh, and I, in fact, I'll tell you this, is that only by the grace of God was I protected even in Malawi, Africa. Because I'd heard all about these terrible snakes that were in Malawi, Africa. Well, one day I took a shower, or took my bath, and as I came into my bedroom, the light was out, there was a rope in the floor. And I stepped over the rope, and then it occurred to me, I don't recall there being a rope on the floor. So I called the house boy, and he came in and turned on the light, and it was a snake, a green snake. I said, what is it? He goes, a mamba. I said, poisonous? He goes, deadly. Guess what my next words were? Then kill it. I, I, I had no joy in that snake being in my presence, but it was there. Can you imagine if I had stepped on it? You wouldn't have had to worry about me being your pastor. But the reality is, God saw fit to protect me even at that moment. Now, these are, and that's a beautiful snake. Don't get me wrong, that, that green color on it was beautiful. But it was more beautiful when it was dead. That's just my thoughts on it. But now watch what else we see about it. We also see in verse 14, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. Now what if Lucifer was the first creature that was created in heaven by God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost? Do you realize that at that moment, Lucifer could have imagined in his mind I'm just like God. Now, I can't prove it. But the reality is, he was able to convince all the other angels to follow because I'm just like God. I am God. Little g, not big g. Look what else it says. Thou art anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the whole Start potential till a nick. 
was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. That's where we're going to leave off today. A lot to think about, isn't it? All right, Lord's willing, we'll pick up here next week as we continue our studies. Let's be dismissed in prayer. Again, Father, we want to thank you for your blessings. Help us now to be faithful unto thee in all things. May we rejoice in thy name, for it's in Christ we pray. Amen. God bless. We're dismissed.